Let us pray. Father, it is right to tremble before you. It is right to feel our hearts, our knees, our bodies, our souls bow down before you. For the souls that know this, there is such a grace and a peace to know that we bow before the King, the King and the creator of the universe, the reason that we are all gathered here tonight. And so we ask that you would help us to look to you, Father, to look to your grace and your peace and know that it is freely given to us not by our own merits, but by the price of your son on the cross. And that as we look to you tonight, that we would glean from your word, that we would not only hear your words, but it would settle into our hearts and that we would believe that every soul here tonight would be moved by you, transformed by you, renewed by you so that long after we leave here long after we leave these four walls your words as they always have been would be alive and well unchanging truth that we can hold on to from this day to our last help us to believe this help us to encourage one another to believe this as well we live these things to you and so much more. In Jesus Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than stewardship, from God that is by faith. The aim of our courage, or sorry, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and any else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted.
Let's pray together. Thank you so much for your song, Lord, and how it stirs the soul to sing the scriptures, to hear one another's voices as a family proclaim again and again these truths, these gospel truths that are so true and rich. We pray that if uh, we've been singing and it hasn't been hitting home because there's not a real clarity or an understanding of your gospel, that that would be made clear tonight. Thank you for this new study in the book of Timothy and the earnestness and the eagerness that is in the house always to get around the Bible. That is a work from you. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would awaken us if we haven't been. You'd alert us. You would remind us of how crucial it is every time we open the Bible together and read it because it is the word of God. Would you deliver us from a spirit of Eutychus who would snooze and fall out of a window in the midst of Bible teaching? Would you help us in our weakness right now? I understand that in the house, um, perhaps behind the smiles and the hugs, there's real pain that's going on in my brothers and sisters and maybe friends here in this place. And that we're here because we are actually searching, we're actually desiring, believing that you are who you say you are and you can do what you said you can do in fixing a bunch of bust-up, broken people. And we believe that the Bible is the means by which you do this. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do it again? Illuminate the text for us. And do it now, we pray, that we might experience Jesus greater than we ever have and that our neighbors would be that much more loved because we came to a midweek service, a midweek Bible study. So meet us right now in the middle of whatever it is we're going through. Whatever tensions we're feeling this Wednesday, meet us, we pray. Be gracious and kind. Thank you so much for another opportunity to worship you together in spirit and in truth. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said, amen to that. And we now are going to walk through just this portion of the text. Um, Before I do that, let me do this. Because we just finished the introduction, we're now going to get into the body of this letter. I just want to briefly take you up with me, uh, uh, however high it is when a plane flies, 3,000, 30,000 feet up in the air. And we're going to zoom through the book really quickly to give some big bird's eye view observations. Just so you can kind of see down the line where where Paul's taking us on in this letter. Remember that the point of this letter is to help the church know how to be the church. Okay? I get that in... Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. But here we go. I'm going to give you just overview, and then we're going to pray and then get into just where we are tonight. Last week in verse 1 to 2, we saw gospel relationships and how, the importance of that. From verse 3 to 20, we're going to see gospel clarity. We'll be in this for a few weeks. Gospel clarity. Chapter 2, gospel-centered prayer life. These are the areas Paul is addressing to Timothy and the church. Chapter 3, gospel-centered leadership. Chapter 4, personal devotion. Chapters 5 and 6, family discipleship and community evangelism. And then chapter 6 to the end is, I call it gospel grit. You're going to have to have some conviction to fight the good fight of the faith, Timothy. So this is kind of like that big holistic view of him now teaching the church how to grow in godliness together. And I I start like that just because I want to hope to give you this idea of like, man, this is the big picture This is how he's going to hit the letter. He's going to hit all these different areas of spiritual life. Um, And why I'm really excited to get into this letter with you guys, with our church, 
is because I do think that there is a deep desire in the house for you to grow in godliness. I think you're here because you want to grow in your walk with God, like you're serious about it. I think there's a genuine hunger and thirst for the Bible in our church. Like the, the questions you email and text, the stuff that we talk about in fellowship time and in the hallways, you guys are all about the book. Like you really want to know. And I want to commend you guys and say, right on. That is shaka. That's huge. That's a gift of God if you're curious about growing in godliness or your relationship with Jesus. And so the book of 1 Timothy is a fabulous book. Because it's one of, I would say, probably the, the most helpful book in all of Scripture to tell and define to us what is a church and how is a church to function and how we are to grow in godliness together. And he's hitting all these various aspects of it. And why I'm also excited to get into this with you guys is because I think if, if, if I were to, as that bird's eye view that I just did, and taking those subjects like, you know, um, gospel relationships, gospel prayer life, gospel leadership, um, you know, family discipleship, evangelism. I think all of us in this room, there's certain parts of that, that that's a strength for you. And then there's, a lot, there's other parts of that that's a weakness for you. But what the book of Timothy is trying to do is say, no, this is the holistic picture. It all works together harmoniously if you're going to seriously grow. Because some of us, we're good at relationships, but we're really, really bad at our doctrine. Or some of us, you know, we're really good. We have a good handle on our doctrine and our theology. But we're just really, really bad about relating with people. Or some of us, we, you know, we lack godly gospel leadership or, you know, vice versa. So anyway, that's kind of brief overview introduction. Tonight, we're just going to be tackling 3 to 11. And we're going to hone in on this subject of gospel clarity. Um, and we'll let Paul take it from here. So Father in heaven. If you haven't already, I'm begging you right now, please get our attention and keep it. The Bible is too precious. The Word of God is too powerful for us to snooze right now. And I ask that as a mouthpiece, you'd help me to get out of the way and just let the text speak plainly. And I pray that all of us would feel the intensity and the gravity of what Paul is trying to communicate in this letter to Timothy. I pray that you would anoint our imagination so as we read and study, this book comes to life. So speak, we pray, and maybe answer and remedy much of the frustration and the confusion and maybe the lostness, if I can even use that as a word, that some of us might feel tonight when it comes to Christianity. Maybe there's a soul in the house right now that they don't even know how they're here or why they're here or what's happening or what this is. But I pray that you, through the power of your word and the Holy Spirit, speak. Because once you speak, it's done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So we're going to pick it up at verse 3. But before we do that, quick question. So if I were to ask you, or if you were to, imagine you're the, you're the interviewer. You go around. And ask just a bunch of random individuals, what is church and what does it look like? Imagine the kind of answers you'd get. Like think of if you asked just your friend at work, a friend at work, a friend at home, a friend, just pick, pick three people. And you were to ask those three people to this week, what's church? You might get, you know, oh, that's the place my grandparents go on Sunday. That's the place you'll never see me, you know. Oh, that's the place where everyone thinks they's perfect, yeah? That's church. Or you, you, you'll get a variety of answers. And what's church? What is it? 
What is it? How, and then you would ask, okay, well, what does it look like? Well, if you were to describe what is church, what, what does it look like? I'm sure that if you were to walk around this week and ask your friends those questions, you would get a lot of different answers. Do you agree? Not yet. <laughs> Not now. Observation time. You used to pop. Um, or if you were to, if you were to, um, if I were to ask you that question, actually, don't answer now. Don't answer now, Pop. But just ask, ask yourself the question in your heart. What is church? Like, what is this? And what does church really look like? And put some definition on it for me. Now, in that moment right now, as you're thinking, imagine yourself writing the answer down. Be honest with yourself. Would there be a little bit of fuzziness for you? Fuzziness meaning like just a little bit of confusion. Like a little bit, I don't know exactly how to answer this. It sounds too simple, but now it sounds real confusing. <laughs> now, if, if that's where your heart is, then I, I, I hope to pay, like, pay attention. If someone were to ask you that, church member, what is church? What does it look like? What would, you, what would you tell them? I said this already in observation, but 1 Timothy, I think this whole letter is one of the most helpful books in all of Scripture to answering that question. I think this question was arising in the church in Ephesus, perhaps, with many other questions. Because right now, things in Ephesus in this church is very confusing. It's very fuzzy. And much of it is because, we, like we saw last week in Acts 20, there's false teaching going around, making it very frustrating, confusing. Later in this text, it says, this is producing speculation. Gospel clarity is the title of this message, and that's what Paul is arguing and contending for. You got to be clear on what you mean by that. Like if I were to define the question now, instead of what is church, what does it look like? If I were to just ask, what is the gospel? What would you say? What would we say? What do people say? If we're not clear on this, guys, that is devastatingly deadly. And we're going to see that in the text. If we lose the gospel, if we're not crystal clear on it, if you lose the gospel then people don't come to Christ. And if people don't come to Christ, then people don't get saved. And if people don't truly get saved, then you don't have a church. So that's why I love that Paul started this letter by saying at least this relationship right, this, what we're, me to you, Timothy, this is gospel setting. This is a gospel relationship. So at least we know in a, in a true church, it's filled with people who believe the gospel. And so right now, right at the beginning of the letter, because this is of first importance, Paul, out of all the issues that he could have talked about first in the letter, he talks about this. False teaching. False teaching. We've got to get this. First Timothy, oh, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. If you go on our church website, this is the text that is right there on the banner, right on the top of our page. It says this, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you're being saved, and then he says, if you hold fast, why would he say that? Because it's going to be easy for let it go. The word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, and then he says this, verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance. 
first importance. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So if the church is planted on this gospel and that's of first importance, if there's a church that that's going to get compromised, this is the most important thing we got to address right now in this letter. It's gospel clarity. This is where we're at in the letter. This is why Paul gets to it first. Verse 3, it reads, I urged you. Sister brought this up already in observation time, but I love it. Parakaleo. I am para with kaleo. I'm calling you. I'm pleading with you. Come here. This is urgent. That's this word. I urged you when I was going to Macedonia. So Paul and Timothy were in Macedonia. Paul, I mean, I'm in Ephesus, and Paul was going to continue on. And then he says, "Hey, Timmy, bro, wait. You gotta stay. There's some serious stuff going on. It's so serious, brother. You gotta stay." And he says, "I urged you remain at Ephesus." Now just imagine that for a little bit. You're the young dude. Paul's the big dog. Ephesus is hard. It's scary. I'm going to keep going, but hey, cuz, my brother, my true child, you get him. Stay. So now he's staying in Ephesus, and then he says this, so that, this is why you're there, Timothy. He's reading the letter. Remember, Timothy, this is why you're there. You may charge certain persons not to teach, and this is huge, any different doctrine. Here's the first point. This gospel clarity is of first importance. It's the first thing in the letter, and it's the first thing communicated with this great urgency. Galatians chapter 1, because he's saying, you got to tell these guys, stop teaching something different. Doctrine is a fancy word for teaching. They're teaching a different thing. Well, what thing is it they're teaching? In Galatians 1, 6 to 9, it says this, I'm so astonished you're quickly deserting um, deserting him who called you into grace, you're turning to a different gospel. And then verse 7, you can kind of hear the, the savviness in his voice. Not that there is another one. But there is some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel... Contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse. That's strong words. This is hitting a huge nerve in Paul. And I'm, I'm speaking like this because I want it to hit a huge nerve in you. This is a big deal. I want it to hit a huge nerve in me. They're saying things that are twisting and distorting and changing. It's different than the message that Paul and Timothy them have told them about who Jesus is and what he's done. This is so huge. There is no other gospel. We're going to see in just a little bit how they twisted it and how they distorted it. But right off the bat, I want there to be this exclamation mark that gospel clarity in this church, in all gospel churches, is of first importance. It's, so, it's that serious, guys. Why? Because no, no, one, no one is saved. No one is saved. No soul is secure apart from this gospel. This Jesus. We've got to put some definition on this. We're going to see in a little bit how they get distorted, but Jesus is emphatic about this. John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one else comes to the Father except through me. But these, these certain guys are saying something different. 
Now, now before we move on and get into how they're distorting it and messing it up, let's shift gears a little and just imagine Timothy reading this. Because I love the observation Bruce brought up. This is like intimidating stuff, huh? Because you got to know, right, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy's young. He's a youth. Remember last week I said he could, some, some people say he's in his teens, 20s, 30s. And he's saying, brother, you step up, take charge, tell these guys who are probably older elders than you to stop teaching a different gospel. That's, that's intimidating. Can you imagine how intimidating that was just for a little bit? I think it would have been tempting for Timothy to just kind of chill. And I'm just a kid. Take a seat back. This is huge right now. I just want to pause on this for a little bit. Because last week I was encouraging you to seek out father, mother, figures in the faith. Because that's what we saw in Paul and Timothy. But what we're seeing here right now is a moment in Timothy's discipleship where you got to stand on your own two feet, bro. I've been warding off the wolves. I've been the one doing a lot of the teaching and, and, and correcting and making sure this is Jesus-centered. But you know, your spiritual role models, your father-mother figures, they're not always going to be there physically with you. There's going to be a come a time in your faith where all of us believers, regardless of how young or old we are, you and I, we're going to be called to stand you're going to be called to take a stand for your faith in Christ. Do you know what that faith is? I love the relationships that we have now, but there's going to be a time where you can't email or text. And I may not physically, Pastor Johnny may not physically, Pastor Bob may not physically be there. And this is one of those kind of big discipleship moments where it's like, Timmy boy, I know people look down on you because you're young. I know you're probably struggling because you're physically weak, First Timothy chapter 5. You, on top of all that, you, you, you don't have a good stomach. And you're probably timid because we get that clue where he says in 2 Timothy 1, God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, Timothy. So you got to imagine this young boy, this young man, weak in frame. People looking down on him because of whatever. And he's the one being called, step up, charge these certain persons, stop that. This is where your faith's going to be proven legit, my true child in the faith. I just need to pause on that for a moment because I do want to encourage and really urge and remind us here in this place that all of us will have a chance and will be called to have to take a stand. And the question is, is whether you know your, the faith that you're taking a stand on. These words carry so much weight coming from Paul because he's been doing this for years. So we're moving on. Gospel clarity in verse 3. It's, it's a first importance. The first thing I'm bringing up in the letter. And so how, let's get into the details now as to, okay, let's see how they've been distorting this thing. So he says, one, they're teaching a whole different doctrine. So a whole different gospel, even though there is no other. Verse 4, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Devote is a word. Prosecco is to care for, hold firmly. It's, you start to bring it near and give attention and affection. It's like they started to get attached to this kind of stuff. They started to kind of get intrigued and drawn to what? Myths. Jewish legends and tales and stories and fables. It was man-made fiction stories that were just like epic. And they started getting into it. Getting all nerdy on 
this stuff. But here's the problem. Because this is not, I'm not saying, you know, we can't enjoy fiction and you can't go enjoy your superhero movies and stuff like that. But this is the problem here. They were getting so involved and intrigued by these myths, these endless genealogies of, you know, pedigrees of the patriarchs and going, running off into all these little bunny trails. And they started to bring that stuff up in with them into the pulpit and teach it and preach it as if it was the very words of God. This is what the teachers started to do. They started to add on to the Bible. They started to add on to the gospel. They took man fables and myths and they started to manufacture man-made applications and started to elevate this extra-biblical literature to as if this is Bible. And they started to come up with all these phony applications. Like in 1 Timothy 4, they started to forbid marriage. Don't get married. McCann. Somehow they got there in their teaching. Somehow they got to a place where they required abstinence from certain foods. So this is how they were wrongfully using the law, the first thing they were adding to it. And then the stuff they were adding, they were teaching as if it's the same level as God's word. And then this is, this is how they were messing it up. They were using the law as if it was a means by which they can get saved. Do this, do that, and you'll get saved. Here's the second point. All that false teaching, it produced a false faith. False teaching, bad Bible study. And I'm not saying like their Bible studies were boring. That's not, because I, I would argue that they probably weren't. Because later in the letters it says all the people is kind of feeling it. Their ears are getting all itchy. Like they like these teachers. They actually wanted more like this. What made the Bible study bad was that it was bad doctrine. Bad content, misreading the Bible. Remember I told you earlier, you can read the right book the wrong way. Does that scare you? Because I wonder if there's some of us been growing up in church, we've been reading this book. But what if you've been reading it wrong? What if you've been learning it wrong? False teaching results in a false faith. Look what happened. It promoted, it caused to be speculations. What is that? Zetesis, speculation, it's questioning, idle, dispute, meaningless debate. He's painting this word picture. It, it cause, you're, you're causing the church to get confused. It's getting chaotic. This is what false teaching does. Rather than stewardship from God that is by faith, rather than stewardship is this word of a, it's a picture of a house in order. House, good house management. So you see those two pictures? All chaos and kapakai. That's false teaching. Does that describe your Christianity right now? I'm <laughs> just all over the place. Every other month, I think I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved. I love Jesus, but I don't know who's Jesus. You laugh because, whoa, that could be us. Or you have friends like that. They're in and out of the church over and over because, and I wonder, it's so sad. It's not that they don't want this. It's not that they don't want God. They were just mistaught. There was false teachers mishandling the book. And now they have a false notion of faith. Like I said last week, so many, I hear that phrase all the time. My faith, the faith. I like it stronger in the faith. What faith are you talking about? And that's what Paul is saying. That's, that's the result of false teachers. 
people just speculating. It's not a house of God that is in order. The rest of this book, he's going to try to help put order in the church, but he's starting by, you got to get the gospel first. So false teaching is producing this false, false faith. Deceptive doctrine is deadly, guys. And if I have a little bit more punch in my tone tonight, it's because in my short years of living, I've seen front hand the devastating effects of just a slightly twisted teaching that spoils the soul. Some of you here, I know because we know each other, but you, you, by the grace of God, you're here, but it took a long time because you grew up and you've tasted something very strange and you called it Christianity and you don't know what that was, but somehow you're still clinging on, looking for, and, and, and you're recovering from a lot of false teaching. This is prevalent. This is out there. And it's killing people, literally. So Bruce was right. This is big stuff. And he's saying to Timothy, okay, Timothy, you got to get up there and get in there and tell them, stop teaching different stuff. Stop twisting it. Stop adding. They're causing speculations. And I'm imagining this big lump in Timothy's throat like, oh, my gosh, here we go. This is me. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he was getting fired up. Yeah. Yeah, Paul. We go. We go, Paul. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm guessing he was more timid because of what the clues tells us uh, of how Paul talked to him in the letter. But I love that Bruce dropped it. He said right in the middle of this intense instruction, he drops this verse 5. Almost seemingly out of the blue, but it's not so much. He then says, okay, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love and that issues from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. I love that he drops that verse right in the middle of this. Think about it. There's about to be some awkward, hard, heavy conversations you got to have with some of the uncles. Boy, you ready? But remember, the aim, the purpose, the intent, the goal of our charge, why you're going to get in there and charge them hard. That's what local people would say. Charge them hard. Get them, boy. You know, get in there. Because he's not going to go in there and just have a polite conversation. Hey, if you guys could tone it down and maybe, you know, just rethink the myths and then just, no, you're not going there to have a discussion, Timothy. You got to go there and say, stop. That's wrong. Then he says this, but remember, the aim of our charge is what? Love. Let's not forget that Paul loves these certain persons. Here's the point. When we confront, we speak truth in love. You're going to have to confront these guys. But you're not going to just confront them to confront them. Don't just get nuts to get nuts, Timothy. I hope and pray that the pastors here, we're not trying to teach our body here at Nu'uanu so you guys just become big in your theology and go pick spiritual theological fights with people and bash people on the heads with your Bibles. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. The aim of our charge is what? This is huge, especially for the brother or sister who you have a better handle on your book and you can kind of smell bad teaching a mile away. You're able to detect deceptive doctrine and 
And there's a part in you which is good where it's like, that's messed up. But then there's a part in you that forgets, that we forget. The aim of our charge is love. Our license to speak is not how much we know. And that, yeah, we might know better. That's not your license to speak. You never, we never want to confront people who may be a little bit off or swerved or off the rails, each other even, because we all going to get off the rails a little bit. We all going to have, you know, you can get all fired up, had your devotions, you can come, oh, pastor, what's so good? I was reading this and this and this, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. And it's like kind of like, eh, you know, like, oh, how'd you get that? We're going to have to confront each other and speak the truth in love. Never to just hush people up. Not to just cause drama. Not to just feel more superior. Timothy, don't get in there and just start beefing with these guys and just strut your stuff. No, the aim of our charge is love. I love these men, Timothy. Alexander and Hymenaeus, who I had to just get out of the church already. That's in verse 18 and 20. I love those two guys. We love these other men. They're not the enemy. Satan. The spirit of this world and our flesh, that's what we're beefing. Ephesians chapter 4, where we get that verse in verse 15, rather speak the truth in love. You know what precedes that? Is verse 11, leadership teaching the church how to know their Bible so they're not swept away by every wind of doctrine. And then Paul says, rather speak the truth in love. I pray New Honor Baptist Church would be a family where you know Jesus and you know your faith and you know whom it is you believe in and how he saved you and why he and he alone can save you and you know your Bible, Genesis to Revelation, so that when you come across other people who profess to be Christians, but they live a life contrary of it or they're misreading their Bible, you're not going to look at them like this. <laughs> no. You're going to have love in your eyes. You'll be concerned. And you'll say the hard things to them. Brother, sister, is that what it says? Is that what it means? And you'll do it in love. 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy and be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. If Timothy were to get in there and start beefing without love, he would dishonor Christ. He would do a great disservice and a great dishonor. 1 Corinthians 13. I could speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I could have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, have faith to remove mountains, but if I don't want love, nothing. I am nothing. Local people, nothing. No more. Pow. Nothing. <laughs> if no more love, I could give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. You see what Paul is trying to do with this young man? You got to get in there and have the hard talks, but you do it in love. Capish? Timothy was like, get him. Let's keep going. Almost there. Verse 6. Now he's, we're going to get a little bit into the nitty-gritty of the teachers, certain persons. Now, these are likely leaders. They're likely elders. Acts 20 gives us that clue. 
He's talking to the elders, and he said, among you guys, there's going to be wolves. They're going to come in. They're going to start twisting, twisting the truth, twisting the scriptures to draw people away. It says, these certain persons, by swerving. Look at the words he used. I like that. Swerve. Everybody swerve. You just, you straight, and then you not straight. You swerve it. You're departing. You're deviating from the truth. It's a word of, you're missing it. You're losing your way. So these guys, they've, they're, they're losing it. They've wandered away. Ectrepo. They're turning and twisting. It's a word that describes an apostasy. They're, they're, they're wandering away from what? From who? From Christ. But you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. To the glory of Christ alone. Somewhere along the lines in your Christian journey, things are getting swervy. You're drifting, man. You see what he's saying? And, and they're getting drifted. They're, getting, they're swerving into vain discussion. They're just these guys that just like talk. Vain is empty. Empty talk. Oh, I pray that this church would never be. Our small groups would never be. The friendships you have here would never be. Just a bunch of empty talk. Just talk, 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 talk. desiring to be teachers of the law. This is how we know they're misusing the Bible. Because they're using the scriptures. James chapter 3 says, not many of you should presume to be teachers. You know why? Because you who teach will be judged more strictly. They're mishandling the text. This is serious. I quoted this many times. Let me read it to you. Acts 20 verse 29 to 30. It says, after my departure, there's going to be fierce wolves. Not literal wolves, okay? Not the, oh, okay? Like, this is an allegory. Fierce wolves. Now, imagine a fierce wolf. What do you see? You see teeth. You see drooling. What does the wolf want to do? Exactly. There's teachers who want to devour the sheep. They won't feed off of this. Why do they want to be teachers? Because they like it. They just feed it off. Like, yeah, you know? And it's just like they feed off the sheep. They don't care about souls. They don't have verse 5. They don't have love. There's not a pure heart. There's no good conscience. This is not for the glory of God and the, and the joy of the people. They, it says they're fierce wolves. They're going to come in. They have this appetite. They just want to be teachers. And then it says this. They want to draw away disciples after them. See, the appetite of a false teacher is to feed off the sheep to gain a following. There's been young men in our church, praise be to God, that have said that they aspire to the ministry of the word of God. And that, if that's you, thanks be to God. But listen up. If you aspire to the ministry, ministry is not your media platform. Church is not your get-off place. We don't feed on sheep here. And if you sense that in your pastors, pray for us. Because we fight that every day. This is why we pray through our directory. This is why we have a church prayer meeting. This is why we want to have a plurality of elders in our church so we can keep each other accountable. Pastor Bob, Johnny, myself, we don't want to feed off the sheep. We want to feed the sheep. Give them the word. Give them Christ. Get out of the way. But these false, twisted teachers, this is their intent. This is why they're swerving. They don't have verse 5. Their aim is not love. Their aim is I'm hungry. 
And I couldn't get it in the world, so I'm going to get it here. Ministry is not your media platform. It is not our media platform. They don't even understand what they're saying. Look at that. Without understanding what they're saying and their confident assertions. These guys don't know what they're talking about. And what makes it worse is they speak with such confidence. And what makes it more worse is they're probably good speakers. They're probably charismatic and entertaining and hilarious and good looking because there's a following now. And they're liking it. That's why in the next letter, he's like, preach the word, Timothy. Don't do what those kids are doing. All that entertaining stuff. Here's a big prayer I've been praying. We pray, I pray, that the members at Nuanu Baptist Church or all the friends that gather here, Wednesdays, Sundays, whenever, you guys would be a people that quote and reference to God, the Holy Spirit, and his word a trillion times more than you would reference or quote Pastor Bob, Johnny, or Chris. This is not about us. This is about Christ. It's about all of us feeding on Christ and coming to him. See, here's the point. False teachers, they're twisting the truth to take people away from Christ. That's what they're doing, Acts 20. They're speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. Self. This is tragic. I have a question for you. Think of the last time you were at a church service, not tonight. Maybe, maybe elsewhere or whatever. Just the last time you were at a church. It could be just our church on Sunday. The last time you were at a church service. When you left that service, what was most prominent in your mind? What was most fresh in your heart? How funny the preacher was, that story he told, or a text that was just so good for your soul. I'm still chewing on Luke chapter 4 that Pastor Bob preached this past week. So good. But see, if we're a place that what, what, what we're known as is this person, that person, that thing, then, then we, I would say, we might we need, might need to really assess ourselves. Are we, teach, are we false teachers here? Are we drawing people to Christ or away from Christ? Think about it. These guys have swerved. They wandered. They, how do you swerve and wander? How do you drift? When I'm surfing and I'm in the lineup, you know how I drift? I start looking at another break that looks way better than mine. It's like, and all of a sudden, I'm out of place. I get just drift along. How do I miss my destination when I'm driving? I'm talking on the phone. I just lose total sight of my destination. You drift and swerve when you lose your focal point. See, when I'm surfing and I'm in the lineup, I have a focal point. There's a reef that I need to stay over. But once I lose sight of that reef, once I lose sight of that focal point, I drift. See, these teachers, they're losing sight of the focal point, the destination. Who's that? That's Jesus. Church, this is so big. And we must focus. We must fix our eyes on Christ. These certain persons got caught up in other stuff. Are you drifting tonight? Have you drifted? Come back. Recenter. Refocus. 
false teaching. It's so subtle. It's so dangerous. It's a slight twist here. It's a little tweak there. Satan just needs to tweak it just a little bit and then let you go. And then now they're wandering in places where, oh, my gosh. Didn't he do that in the garden? What did he say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Just twist what God really said. Just put a question. Just put a doubt. Just speculate. We got to be careful. And we got to help each other. James chapter 5, it says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings the sin, back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. Go in there and do this. There's a bunch of wanderers and starting with the teachers. Bring them back, bro. Bring them back, Timothy. Tell them to stop teaching wrong and teach the gospel. Preach the word and preach it right. Bring them back. What's before this admonition in James? Pray. Love this stuff. Let's finish off and we'll be powerful for tonight. Verse 8 to the end. We know, okay, we know that the law is good, Timothy, if one uses it lawfully. These brothers are not using it good. But we know it can be used good. So how do you use the law lawfully? How do you use the Bible good? Well, here we go. Verse 9, understanding this. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. Disobedient, I'm going to read it through. Ungodly and sinners. Unholy, profane. Those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, for sexually immoral men. Those who practice homosexuality. Enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Here's the point, and I hope to break it down. So we saw the, the twisted teaching, the false teaching took people from Christ, right? Well, here's the opposite. Sound doctrine sends you to Christ. But it starts here with the law. What does the law do? First, the law, it activates your conscience. The rules, the law, God's law, it activates, it's meant to reveal God's standard, and it draws a line between what's good and evil. It brings there an awareness now of right and wrong. See, the teachers, the twisted teachers weren't using the Bible like that. The first thing the law does is it, it activates your conscience. The second thing, if you're teaching the law right, you're teaching the Bible right, the law condemns us. It shows, it, it shows us that we've crossed over the line. Right? It activated the conscience. There's a, li- there's a line. This is good. This is wrong. This is what God likes. This is what God hates. But what the law also does is it, it shows you then clearly, if I read the list, and I'll read it, right? Disobedient. Who's been disobedient here? Who's ungodly? Who's been ungodly? Who's been a sinner? Who's a sinner? Who's been profane? Who's struck your father or mother? Maybe not with physical, but maybe with physical. Jesus comes along and says, if you say something <laughs> wrongfully, that's just like murder. Right? Who struck? Who murdered? Who's been sexually immoral? Who's been tinkering and playing and thinking things, going places you know you should not go? Watching stuff you know you should not watch? Enslavers, liars, perjurers? Who's been deceitful? Who's taken advantage of? Who's done anything contrary to sound doctrine? That's all of us. So what is the law supposed to do? Now it, it activates our conscience and then it's a testimony against us. It condemns us. 
It shows you. You're a sinner. This is the message that twisted teachers don't like to say. Because they just want the people to like them and follow them. But it doesn't stop there. It activates the conscience. The law condemns us. It testifies against us. And then this is what it ought to do if you're teaching the Bible right. It activates your conscience. It condemns you. You're a rebellious wretch now. You've committed high treason against the king of kings in your sin. That's me. Then what does the law, the good word of God do? It chases you to Christ. It chases you to him. You run to him now. Why Christ, church? Because Christ and Christ alone has lived sinlessly. He is perfect and righteous and just. So when he died on the cross for our sins, he was the only one who could pay it in full. And here's the crazy part. He died. He was dead. He paid it and he rose. He broke sin and death and he reigns and he calls you. Repent, trust in me and I'll give you my robe of righteousness. It's this great glorious exchange. See, when you're teaching the law, the law causes you to realize you're a sinner and I need a savior. See, good Bible study makes us leaving this place. I want Jesus. I need Christ. I'm so screwed up in my mind and in my heart. There's sins I'm wrestling and dealing with that no therapist, no person, no community can fully fix. They can help me. But it's still here. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins to God. He's faithful and he's just and he will forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he can. But you see these twisted teachers, they don't want to preach a message like that. They just want people to like them. They don't want to speak the truth. And Paul is telling Timothy, no, we speak the truth, nothing but the truth, the whole truth, and we do it in love. Tell them. Preach the law how it's supposed to be preached. Activate their conscience. Condemn the sinner and chase them to Christ. That's why sound doctrine, it sends people to Christ. That's why when you see people singing in church and they're moved, it's they found Christ. Christ forgave them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 7, 7 says this, if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. I would have not known what it is to covet had you not said, Lord, don't covet. This is a good thing, the law. That's what he's saying. The law is good. Why? Because it shows me where, I'm, where I crossed over the line. Traffic laws are good. Why? Because the signs and the lights show us if we crossed the line. If we're in error. But then it also, it keeps us in check. You see, the law sends you to Christ. And if you have not yet come to Christ, this is what you first must do. You must repent. You must trust in him. And then, when you trust in him, the Bible teaches that you receive him by faith. Now, Christ is in you. And you're in him. And you in him, you have his righteousness. You're born again. You're a child of God. And then this is why the law is so good too. Because then now the law 
it, it builds your character. The same law that crushed you down. Now in Christ is the same law that's going to build you up. You're going to now walk, talk, and act like Jesus, like it's nobody's business, and it's all by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. It's called sanctification. Martin Luther said, the law, uh, when it's taught rightfully, it is the hammer that breaks down the, the prideful, obstinate people. The law is a hammer. <laughs> I like that. So hammer. And it smashed me. It awakened my conscience. Nobody's hiding. I got choke imperfections and stuff that I'm dealing with. I'm a boss up brother. And that's the truth. The Bible tells me so. But the Bible, the same Bible, the same law that broke me down, it brought me to Christ. And a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you do not despise. And in Christ, he makes you one. He makes you whole. He forgives you. He cleanses you. And then that same law that broke you down is going to be used. That same hammer will now build you up. Build that character. Grow in godliness. That's why he finishes it in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which you have been entrusted. We'll pause here. But you see how Paul is trying to help Timothy. We got to correct all this fuzzy fable stuff that's going on. And bring them back to the rock solid truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel clarity, guys. I would encourage you. We have tracks in the hallway. Great tracks. To put some, if, if you're feeling fuzzy about your faith and your definition on gospel. I mean, well, first I would tell you, here's my first encouragement. Find a member in this church. And, and, and read a gospel and a letter with them together. Get clarity on this. Help each other out. There's little helps you have. There's tracks in the hallway. It says, what is the gospel? And it uses this, this four-word um, square. God, man, Christ, response. God, holy, righteous, just. Man, we are not. We're sinful rebels. We've all broken it. Christ is the only holy one. He's the only righteous one who's lived the, the, the perfect life. And he died on the cross, rose from the grave. He calls you to trust in him. That's the response. That is gospel right there. I used to teach youth like this. I'd put, it, put the gospel in your hands. You ready? I would say take your left, your non-dominant hand. That's your weakness. So if you're right-handed, you say you're left. If you're left-handed, you say you're right. And I would tell them, I am, this is my weakness, a sinful rebel under God's wrath. That's my weakness in life. I'm a sinful rebel under God's wrath. But here's my strength, my right hand. Christ died for my sins and was raised. Put the gospel right there in your hands. But let's work together and define and get clarity on this because, guys, we, like Paul to Timothy, we're also called, we've got to guard this. It's precious. It's precious. If at any point in our journey, in our church, and this is why I love what God's doing in the life of our church, why we're having bylaws and all this kind of stuff. Where we, you know, re, like, it's all meant to help give cl greater clarity to this gospel and how we communicate this gospel. If any of us start to veer from that, and I'll speak on behalf of the pastoral staff, like if any of us start to go off the rails or swerve or whatever or wander, we beg you, check us. Do what Timothy's got to do. 
And if you got to do it, fire us. It's too important. Because it's not about us. It's about, it's about God. It's about his glory. It's about his gospel. So we'll bring this part to a close. And we'll continue the letter next time. Before I pray, right now in this moment, just ask yourself seriously, if there is any, and no shame, guys, if there's any confusion or fuzziness about the faith, you lack clarity in the gospel, I'm begging you right now, don't leave yet tonight. Please talk to someone. Please. We will pray with you. We will study with you. It's too critical. It's too crucial. Let's pray. And as we sing, continue to cry out to God to bring you back center, to bring you back to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for letters like Timothy. We thank you for brothers, men, apostles like Paul. He's so pastoral in heart. Thank you for inspiring him to write this letter and to send it at such a time where this struggling church, this struggling leadership was starting to go off the hinges because we see that happening so much in so many churches today. And we would be foolish to say that we're not suspect to that, that that couldn't happen here. And so this is our humble prayer, that in light of the text, God, we would never swerve and never wander and never drift from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that, as was written in this letter, that we would be the pillar and the buttress of truth. And if we're going to grow together in godliness, we need to have gospel relationships and we need to have gospel clarity. I pray for our membership at New Orleans about this church. That as members, we would hold each other accountable. And that if there's be any unsaved members, that you'd save them. That you'd use the members in the church by means of friendship and relationship to help clarify this. We pray that the church here in Uanu would be an awesome stomping grounds of awkwardly awesome conversations. Awkward in that we'll speak the hard truths in love, but awesome in that it's in love and it leads to Christ. Let this be a place and a space where we really teach and admonish one another. Thank you so much for hearing our prayers. Thank you for another study in the Word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to sing to you now. Let us sing in faith and with deep conviction because this is real. You're so real. And you're coming again, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You can join us in standing as we sing.
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Amen. Please uh, stick around and just enjoy just a sweet time of fellowship. If, uh, if any way, just the, the word the, uh, was impressed on your heart, and if, and if you need just someone to uh, talk to and pray with, uh, Pastor Chris and many of our leaders, and just a few of our leaders are around, we'll just love to talk with you, pray with you, and... Um, just uh, continue to encourage you in uh, the, the, the word of truth and grace that was uh, shared tonight. So with that, we close and um, let's uh, just enjoy some uh, time of uh, fellowship and, uh, and um, hang out. Amen. Amen.